The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Episode 158 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you in part by Cloud Accounting Software FreshBooks with a free 30-day unrestricted trial for you. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. First of all, I don't believe in failure. I believe you either succeed or you learn. It's one or the other. And a lot of people let the fear of what they call failure hold them back. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now here's Jeff. Hi there, I'm Jeff, welcoming you to the podcast that is dedicated to your personal and professional growth. We discuss leadership, personal growth, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, and entrepreneurship. And it's leadership and personal growth getting the emphasis today, because in just a few minutes, you and I get to sit down and have a conversation with Aaron Walker. He's the author of View from the Top, Living a Life of Significance. I'll ask Aaron about the impact his willingness to delay gratification has had on his life and what it means for yours. The biggest surprise he faced after retiring the first time at age 27 the lessons he's learned from refusing to take no for an answer, and much, much more. Speaking of which, there's absolutely no reason for you to say no to the free 30-day unrestricted trial being offered by FreshBooks, cloud accounting software, our sponsor for this episode. If you're a freelancer or maybe working a side hustle in the margins of life, you know the working world has changed. With the growth of the internet, there's never been more opportunities for the self-employed or the side hustler. FreshBooks is wanting to help meet that need, and they're doing it with an all-new version of their cloud accounting software. Late last year, they redesigned it from the ground up. It's been custom-built for exactly the way that you work. I can tell you from personal experience that if you're looking for the simplest way to be more productive, more organized, and get paid faster, then FreshBooks cloud accounting software is what you need. As I mentioned, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to you. To claim it, all you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. Again, it's absolutely free, no obligation. Just go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead. After starting and selling a number of businesses, including one to a Fortune 500 company, Aaron Walker decided to sit back, relax, and enjoy retirement. And what he discovered was that 50 was a little bit too young to hang it all up. His retirement lasted about eight months. That is until he was approached by uh, friends and fellow mastermind group members, Dan Miller and Dave Ramsey, reminding him they did of his success starting and selling multiple businesses and not to mention his marriage of over three decades. They encouraged him to pursue a career as a life and business coach. And he went in kicking and screaming. 
No. Uh, Aaron has come to realize that his true calling in life is to help men move beyond a mindset that's dominated by the single dimension of their careers and helps them realize they need not choose their profession or their relationships. And he does this by instilling in them the concepts of success and significance. And through that process, he's developed a global community of like-minded men equally focused on the success to significance journey. His brand new book, uh, and one of many reasons we've got him on the show today, is called View from the Top, Living a Life of Significance. Aaron, thank you so much for agreeing kicking and screaming to be a guest on the show today. <laughs> Are you kidding? Kicking and screaming, man. What an honor it is to be on your show. Thank you, Jeff. I am so excited to be here on Read to Lead. Thank you, buddy. Well, the pleasure is certainly all mine. I've been following you and your career for quite a while. There have been several events that we've attended and a number of times I wanted to approach you and introduce myself and I, I would get nervous when I would start to do that. <laughs> and it wasn't until uh, a conference back in September that you and I attended with Jeff Goins. Uh, and I think you approached me, actually. And um, I realized there was nothing to be afraid of. <laughs> well, listen, that's because you're the icon here, not me. And so I, I'm like, I got to get around this guy. He is an icon in the community and I, as well as you have, you know, you've heard of me, but I've more so heard of you. And I said, I just got to make this happen. So I did. And I'm glad I did. Tell me about the title of chapter one of your book, and more specifically, Aaron, how this became your life's mantra. Here's what it is. Can't, couldn't do it, and could, did it all. Mm. It has absolutely dominated my life. And let me tell you what that is. That's a saying that my mom started saying when I was a child. And here's the reason. She would never allow us to say the word can't. Mm. She'd say, you might not be able to do this. I give you that, but you're at least going to try. And she would force us into <laughs> doing things, push through those upper limit challenges. And when she would force us to do that, oftentimes it would work. And I'm like, oh, it's not that difficult. Or it was difficult, but if I put the effort and energy in it. I was able to accomplish it. And so I've kind of adopted that as my mantra uh, for my life. I've now either bought, started, or acquired other companies uh, a dozen now. Mm. And so I've developed that as uh, my mantra is like, Hey, can't, couldn't do it. Could did it all. Just tell me what it is and I'm going to get it accomplished. And that's what I decided to title my first chapter in the book. Can't, couldn't do it, but could did it all. So does that include uh, you venturing into areas and things that, that maybe at the outset, you're not sure how you're going to accomplish. You just know that if you put your mind to it, uh, you can find the answers and, and get it done one way or the other. Well, you know, Gay Hendricks wrote a great book called The Big Leap, and he talks in the book about overcoming, you know, these upper limit challenges. Mm. And if you read the book, by the way, I recommend it highly. It's a great book. Uh, it just tells us that you might not be able to do it today because you don't have the experience. You haven't done your due diligence. You don't have proper coaches or training but with that, the example in the book is this. I don't want to spoil the book for you, but they took people that didn't know how to draw. Mm. And they said, draw a profile. And so they drew their own profile. And it was terrible. It looked like a third grader <laughs> did it, just like it would if I did it. But then they gave, um, gave instructors and they coached people and trained them for five days. And then they had them to draw the profile again. And it's unbelievable, the differences mm -hmm. when you see these pictures. But, but that's my point is like when we have a little bit of time, we have proper instruction. We take the time. 
there's most things, there's physical limitations, you know, that you won't be able to do, but most things with proper training you can do. And I just learned that at an early age. It's the, first of all, mindset, you have to believe, you know, your, mm. your mindset's got to be the growth mindset, not the fixed mindset. And I encourage people all the time, you know, have a growth mindset with the proper training. You can do this, but with a fixed mindset, you you're done before you start. It's like, no, I can't do that. It's who I am. It's the gifts I was born with. They needed moms to push them to say, hey, can't, couldn't do it and could did it all mm. and develop that mindset. And you can accomplish a lot of things in your life and be more successful as a result of it. Aaron, what have you seen come about in your life by being good at not taking no for an answer? Well, here's the thing. First of all, the answer is always no, unless you ask, <laughs> right? Invariably. So a guy reached out to me on Facebook yesterday and he said, hey, there's this certain podcast I want to be on. I know you've been on a lot of shows. And how did you get on that show? And I said, well, I ask. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, it's not that simple. And I said, no. And I've gotten a lot of rejections on a lot of very popular shows and a lot of big podcasts. But the thing is, they're not going to come looking for me. I, I mean, they're not going <laughs> to say, hey, Let's, you know, in the, especially in the infancy. Now, they do now as a result of me being on a number of shows, people reach out. But at first, when you're first starting, they never come looking for you first. And you're going to get a lot of rejection, which leads me into my second life mantra, which is fear missing an opportunity more than you fear failure. Mm. And what I mean by that is, first of all, I don't believe in failure. I believe you either succeed or you learn. It's one or the other. And a lot of people let the fear of what they call failure hold them back. And I just say it's a learning experience, you know, learn how to do it differently or learn how to do it better and not take it personal, you know, because it's not they're not attacking you personally. They're saying no to whatever it is that you're trying to do. So I don't even see no as a rejection. I just see it as a stepping stone. I'll learn better the next time how to present it differently or I'll go back. Maybe the timing is not right. And I go back again and again if I feel led to do it now. Oftentimes we need to go, okay, it's no, and I'll pivot and turn. But oftentimes if you're really committed to that, you feel that you're, uh, trying to progress in a way that it's just no for now, not no forever. Mm -hmm. I totally identify with that doing what I do. I had to, to, to learn early on uh, in starting this podcast. Uh, I call them not right now so that every time I get a no, it's really just a not right now. And I've lived by that and it's, and it served me very well. John Maxwell might say no the first time. Uh, that just means not right now. Seth Godin might say no the first time, but the third time he said, yes, it just means a not right now. Aaron, speak to a delayed gratification. There's, there's a chapter that Aaron uh, dedicates to the book on this topic. How, how did you live this out as a young man, and, and how did your willingness to practice it end up rewarding you later on? This is kind of a fun story, and I'll tell you, it was kind of out of desperation. <laughs> it wasn't my choice originally. Jeff, I came from a very humble background. I mean, we had no money when I was a child. My dad paid $6,500 for the house I lived in when I was a child, and we later lost it in bankruptcy. Mm. And so my dad was a great man, a man of character and integrity, but he was a horrible business person. And so we lost that house later on. My wife comes from a background, if you can believe this, that had less than we did. Mm. Two weeks out of high school, we get married. 
and we had this opportunity to open our first business at 18 years old because I approached two guys that had a lot of money. They own the 21st largest insurance agency in the country. And I approached them and said, why don't we take your money with my experience and open a business? And they're like, how old are you? And I said, I'm 18. <laughs> they said, we've never had anybody 18 years old approach us. And I said, well, there's a first time for everything. <laughs> so here's the deal. And so we laid it out. It took us about three months to work through all the details. Ended up, they said, I'll agree. They took two thirds of the business. I took a third of the business. I put sweat equity in mm. and we worked for the next nine years. And here's what I told Robin after we got married, Robin, we cannot screw this up. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we, we, we may never get this opportunity again for as long as we live and we have got to pay attention. So we had borrowed $150,000 in the seventies, which was a lot of money mm. in the seventies. It's a lot of money today, <laughs> but it was a lot of money to an 18 year old in the seventies. And it was a 10 year loan. And I signed on the loan because I had nothing to lose. And these guys had everything to lose. And so they were going to make sure that we paid it back as well. Ten-year loan. We get married two weeks out of high school. We start this business. And we paid the loan off in 36 months. Mm. We took all the money and put it back into the company. And I said, you know, I don't want to mess it up. I don't want things are going good. So we delayed gratification. Well, we did that three more times. We opened up three more stores. By the time I was 27 years old, we had built quite, you know, the business in a Fortune 500 company in Fort Worth, Texas, made me an offer that I couldn't refuse. The dividends were if I hadn't a delayed gratification, we could have had a bigger house, taken bigger trips, had nicer cars, and lived the lifestyle, but we wouldn't have had the capital to reinvest to build a company that we were able to sell to a Fortune 500 company. Mm. The biggest detriment today, quite honestly, for most people starting in business is they want it and they want it now. Right. And they want to have all the success that their parents did or their grandparents had, and they weren't willing to look at their business long term. So I would just encourage all of you to take a long-term approach. Delay gratification. You, too, might have a business someday that a Fortune 500 company wants to buy. So you, you sell the business at, at 27 years of age, and you, you, you step away. You take some time to yourself. What was the biggest surprise for you through that process? Well, here's what happened is that I was getting in the bed 18 months later in the middle of the day. I'm 28 and a half, 29 years old, and I gained 50 pounds mm. in 18 months. And Robin woke me up one day and she goes, this is not the guy I signed up to marry. Mm. And I said, I don't have any reason to get up. I mean, there's no purpose. There's no meaning in my life. There's no reason to get up. And she said, well, you're driving me crazy. <laughs> and we need to do something. She said, either get a job, go in business again. You got to do something. So the, 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 the biggest surprise for me was, is it wasn't what I had envisioned. I thought I'm going to live the life of luxury for the rest of my life and play golf every day. Well, I did do that for about a year, but when you're 27 and you're playing golf with guys, 65 years old, you don't have the same things in common. <laughs> Plus Jeff, the guys were beating me. <laughs> it was like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> and so I said, you know, this is fun. And everybody says, oh, I would love to do that. Well, you would for a while. But the thing that I didn't realize is we got to have purpose and we got to have meaning and we have a reason to get up every day. Mm. I didn't have that. And so I went back, bought the store that I started with when I was 13 years old. And then we spent the next 10 years. I worked three days a week. My partner worked the other three days and we quadrupled that business in the next 10 year period. 
And what's great about that story, as as Aaron tells it in the book, is that gentleman who you partnered with at one point said he would never sell any part of his business yeah. to you. But that's another example of getting a no, but then later that turning into a to a yes. Yeah, well, it's so true because it was a family business. And when I was making the decision to leave there and go out on my own, I said, will I ever own a part of this business? He said, no, absolutely not. Ten years later, things change. I make him an offer. He sells out. I own half the business, right? It's just that constant staying with things. Mm. Like you said, people's circumstances change, right? His circumstances had changed. And so now that no became a yes. And so that's another reason to kind of be relentless. Well, essentially all of us at, at one time or another will experience you know, rock your world uh, kind of moment, whether it's a death in the family or it's a job loss or something like that. And Aaron is certainly no exception. Aaron, if you're willing, share your memories from 2001 and, and what you found was, was crucial to getting you through that time. Well, this is the very crux of the reason I wrote the book, How to Live a Life of Significance. And what I discovered, Jeff, up until this point, I was a good person by all standards. You know, I was good to my wife. I was good to my children. I wasn't Charles Manson. You know, I wasn't <laughs> out here doing bad things. I was a good person, but I didn't have my focus on anything other than myself and my family. It was all about the success. You know, we had, and I say these things with great humility, but we had the nice house up on the hill, you know, with all the stuff and nice cars and you know we had a place on the beach at one time we had a place in the mountains at one time that we vacationed at that were ours and yeah i had all those things and i mm. never want to take away from those things i love to have nice things and jeff i can't stand it when people with money go money's not important i want to go <laughs> you liar it is important <laughs> it is extremely important but you don't need to make it your god your central focus it don't be don't need to be the only reason that you do things and here's what happened it took a horrific automobile accident for me to see it. Here's what happened. 7.30 on a Wednesday morning, August 1st, 2001, I'm headed to the office. I'm 40 years old. Everything's good. I got all the stuff. I got, you know, three days a week that I'm working. So it's like my life is just like unbelievable. This is, couldn't get any better mm. until Enrique crossed the street in front of me to catch a bus to go downtown and he didn't look my way and I ran over and killed a 77 year old man mm. and at that moment literally my life came to a screeching halt I pulled over and I'm thinking God please this didn't I mean this can't be what it appears to be and I'm shaking I can't get my composure and Jeff I don't want to get too graphic but I didn't want to turn around and look mm. I was scared to what I would see Finally, I said, God, you got to get out. So I, I pulled over to the side of the road and I turned around and looked. Sure enough, there was this guy face down. I'd just run over and cars are stopping everywhere. And I want you to feel the magnitude of this because it's for real. Some of you listeners have experienced things like this as well. And man, I really sympathize with you because it's, it's a moment that's like watching something in slow motion. It's like it's an out-of-body experience. Like you're watching it happen, but surely this couldn't be happening to me. My hand was shaking so hard I couldn't dial 911 on the phone. I grabbed my cell phone and I'm trying to dial and I can't. Finally, I get out of the car and I run over and cars. It's a four-lane highway, two cars going south, two going north. And there's cars stopped everywhere and people are out and they're grabbing this guy and they're trying to get him, you know, to wake up and he's not. And uh, call the ambulance. They all come and take the guy to Vanderbilt Trauma Unit here in Nashville and he lives three days in the Vanderbilt Trauma Unit. Mm. They called me the third day and they said, I'm 
sorry to tell you, but Enrique's passed away. Well, man, I'm like, are you kidding? Things couldn't be any better. But now this. And so I went to my business partner here in Nashville and I said, listen, man, I've been chasing money all my life and I'm done. Uh, I'm going to retire. So Robin and I prayed about it and we thought about it and we decided to sell the business. And we did. And I spent the next five years traveling. Uh, I was grateful that I had a little bit of resources so that we could do that because it takes time to get your feet back under you when you've had that kind of devastation in your life. And I'm a Christ follower. So God gave me the grace to be able to deal with that. You never get over it. He just extends the grace that you're able to deal with it. You can also get that same grace to deal with things, whether it be a financial loss or uh, a bankruptcy or a divorce, or if you've had a similar experience that I have, there is, you can get up from that. So I elected to get up and I said, I've got to get myself back in order. So I did, we sold the business and here's what I discovered. If you don't hear anything else in this interview, I want you to hear this. What I discovered was that my focus was on success and not significance. Mm. And success is all about yourself, but significance is all about others. And what I discovered was when I invest the time, the energy and the effort looking outward rather than inward, uh, the natural reciprocity is unbelievable. The resources that come back, the accolades that come back that you don't ask for, the financial rewards that come back as a result of looking outward. We're one of the two. We're a giver or we're a taker. And I was a taker up until that point. And when I learned to become a giver instead of a taker, everything changed. Here's the irony of this, Jeff, is that the more I look out and try to help other people, the more success comes back to me. It's just the natural reciprocity. So listen, learn to look out and be significant rather than looking in and being selfish and successful. And then you too can live a successful and significant life. There, there's another part of this story that I want to touch on uh, briefly against the, the advice of others. Aaron reached out to Enrique's uh, family and was able to talk to his daughter. And, and, and five years later, something to me that was just amazing happened. Do you mind sharing that? No, no, I'd be happy to. So I never met them in person, the family. My attorney said, listen, you know, during these emotional times, emotions are very high and you got to be very careful with this. And he said, it'd be best if you didn't reach out to the family. Well, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I can't even imagine not reaching out to this family. Well, I found out that my personal physician uh, was from the Philippines, as well as this gentleman, Enrique, and they were good friends. And I called my physician and I said, hey, would you mind reaching out to the family, giving them my condolences? Uh, I mean, I can't really go to the funeral home. You know, I, my attorneys advised me not to do that, but I would like to talk to them if there's any way. So he got me their number. And a couple of days later, I let the emotions settle down a little bit. And I called him and talked to the daughter. And she said, Mr. Walker, we realized that this was not your fault. It was an accident. It was my dad's fault. He couldn't see. He just didn't see well, and he just didn't see you coming. And she said, there'll be no legal ramifications to this, uh, and we want you to know we feel your pain as well. And so I just paid my respect. So five years later, my dad was in the ICU at the hospital. Mm. And so we're there with him. He's got lung cancer, and he's dealing with that. He's in the final stages of his life. And so I leave to go to lunch, and I come back, and my mom uh, is kind of acting really weird. And I'm like, 
did the doctor come in? Mm. Did he tell you something else about dad? And she said, no, no, it's okay. And I finally pressed her and I said, listen, I want to know what's going on. And she said, well, and she pointed through the glass wall and she said, you see that nurse standing out there? And I said, yeah. And she said, she was telling us a story. And I said, yeah, what was the story? And she said, she was telling us about how her dad was killed in an automobile accident five years earlier. And I looked at her and she said, that's Enrique's daughter. And I said, isn't the irony of this, the girl is taking care of my dad in the hospital five years later, the same girl that I was involved in an accident with her father. And we elected at that point not to tell her mm-hmm. because we thought it would be uncomfortable for her. But it was just funny how things come around like that. She took care of my dad in the last few days of his life. An amazing story that I'm regret asking because I'm trying to pull myself together after I know the story. And, and just to hear you tell it uh, was just very emotional. And um, <laughs> sorry. No, I, I get it. It pulls on heartstrings for everybody. So, no, no, it's just uh, we never know. Well, the show must go on. So let me uh, let me do my best here. Uh, so, so so many successes, eight businesses or maybe 12, I guess it is. I lost count. Retired twice, now coaching people all over the world. But I, but I want to ask, what, if anything, Aaron, would you do differently or earlier in your career if you had another opportunity? Yeah, my dad, even being uh, a very bad business person, he loved people. And Jeff, you would want to hug my dad five <laughs> minutes after you met him. My dad had a personality. He loved people. He loved life. And to kind of stay on this theme for a moment, when my dad died in 06, it was October of 06, uh, the uh, doors opened for the visitation at 2.30 in the afternoon. And for the next six and a half hours, the line was outside to the parking lot. It took an hour and a half uh, for people to stand in the line to pay their condolences to my family. Mm. And every person that came through the line, here's what they said. Your dad was always there for me. Your dad always encouraged me. Your dad always did things for the children. Your dad always helped me do whatever you fill in the blank. Not one person said your dad had a nice boat, had a nice car, had a nice house, took nice trips. Not one tangible possession was mentioned in six and a half hours, two days in a row. Mm. Every person said what a difference your dad made in my life. It was all based on the relationship. Yet we spend 95% of our time trying to get more stuff. And I started reflecting back on that. And I thought, you know, the real key to life and to living a life of success and significance is building the relationships Mm -hmm. at which we did a pretty good job of in business. But businesses from that day forward, from 2006 forward, I have invested an inordinate amount of time in building the relationships. It makes it much more enjoyable. I reach out now intentionally trying to figure out how I can help Jeff at Read to Lead promote (laughs) your business. And even the Facebook lives that I'll show, I'm I'm like, I'm promoting, you know, Ray Edwards and Jeff Goins and Dave Ramsey and Dan Miller and Mm. ever who I can think of. And I don't get paid to do that. I want to do it because I want those guys to be successful. And we do that in all areas of our business. We'll write endorsements for people. We'll call people to encourage them. It's a very fabric of our business. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, we're more successful financially than we were previously because we're focusing outward and not inward. So what I would do more intentional is try to learn how to be a giver and not a taker. Mm -hmm. 
Well, you mentioned them again. I mentioned them at the at the top of the show, Dave Ramsey and Dan Miller, uh, folks that uh, you were a, a part of a mastermind with uh, for a number of years, and now you oversee a number of your own uh, masterminds. Uh, what have been some of the most rewarding things that have have come from that experience? And maybe take a brief moment to, to explain you know, what a mastermind is to you. We have to go way back just for a second. In 1995, I went to a Chamber of Commerce breakfast. You know, so was that 22 years ago now? I went to a Chamber of Commerce breakfast, and there was this guy there giving a talk about a money game show he was starting in Nashville, Tennessee. At that time, he was on one radio station. Went up, introduced myself to him, invited him to my business, which was just down the road. He loved the business and wanted me to advertise with him. And I said, no, thank you. I know about all these startups. I'm not interested. And he said, if I give you time, will you advertise with me? And I said, well, I can't lose if you're giving me the time. <laughs> well, that was my first encounter with Dave Ramsey. It was him. He was alone. He was everything. He was the talent. He was the salesperson. He was out giving the speeches. I called him three days into the free week and said, sign me up. He said, it's an annual contract. I said, I don't care. It's unbelievable what it's doing to my business. Well, I spent the next 21 years being his advertiser, longest running sponsor of his shows that he's ever had. Mm. And we became good friends as a result of that. And he invited me a couple of years later to join his personal mastermind. I said, what in the world is that? He said, just trust me. So I went to his office in Franklin. We sat down at a table with 10 other guys like Ken Abraham, which now has 115 books in print. Dan Miller, 48 Days to the Work You Love. Jeff Mosley, INO Records. And these guys weren't those guys then is my point. Right. And as a result of the mastermind, these guys built phenomenal businesses. And then I started to understand that we needed to have a place to be transparent, to be honest, to be vulnerable. And we had to have trusted advisors around us to tell us the truth, right? Because you ask a family member or a friend or a business partner, they're biased. <laughs> but you ask someone that has nothing to gain or lose as a result of what they tell you, you're going to get the truth. Well, when you have the truth, you can build a thriving business or you can build your personal life, the personal development that comes out of that because they love you enough to tell you the truth. And I'm just going to tell you, Jeff, that's what masterminding is. Mm -hmm. At its finest is being able to go in, having a safe environment that no one is going to tell your stuff outside of that group and be able to share candidly and honestly, because strength starts when the veil comes down. You're totally honest. You can share light where you're weak. You can give encouragement where you're strong and you can get the encouragement, edification. You can get the resources. You can get brilliant minds together, helping you form your businesses. I will never, ever, as long as I live not have a mastermind group. Well, I wanted to be able to reach more people quickly. My coaching practice filled up and we started mastermind groups. It was one group, two groups. Now we have seven groups. We're about to launch our eighth group. Now we're growing from inside out. And so now we have guys that have been under my leadership and direction for a couple of years and we're doing revenue share with those guys. They're facilitating the groups. I'm filling the groups up and we're going to grow iron sharpens iron mastermind groups to be a national brand. And so uh, it is absolutely transformed the way many guys are doing business in their life today because they have a safe environment. Mm. Well, Aaron, can you talk about the importance of staying in your lane of being deliberate and intentional? In other words, about about one's area of expertise. Here's the thing. Greg McCowan wrote Essentialism. I need to contact Greg. I've sold more of those books than he has, but <laughs> I don't even get a quarter out of it. I need to get something. But anyway, what he talks about 
in his book is that most people are an inch deep and we're a mile wide. We have the shiny object syndrome. All this stuff comes along and we say, hey, we need to do this. We need to do that. Brian Moran wrote a great book called The 12 Week Year. And he talks about in there how we have to have a deliberate plan. So if you merge these two books together, what we need to do is be an inch wide and a mile deep. And then we need to have a very regimented, structured plan as to how to implement that. We're all gifted in different areas. I have certain gifts that I'm really good at. And there's other things that I suck at. I mean, I'm not good at all. And I've got to say, these are areas that you're good at and you need to stay in that lane, if you will. Mm-hmm. And you need to concentrate on that and be that inch wide and a mile deep. Cal Newport wrote a great book called Deep Work. And he talks about in there, we do surface level things way more than we should. And we need to eliminate about 70% of the things that we do and concentrate on doing the deep work. So be an inch wide and a mile deep formulate a plan that you can execute on and do the deep work, quit doing the superficial things and you'll have more success than you could possibly imagine. Need to stay in your own lane. Mm. Uh, it's funny. You mentioned a uh, deep work. I just launched a couple of weeks ago, a read to lead related book club. And so far we've got, uh, we capped it at 50. So we've got 50 people in the club. We'll be adding people in the future, but next month's book is, is deep work. It's an awesome book. You'll thoroughly enjoy it. Well, before I move on to a couple of questions, Aaron, that aren't directly related to the book, uh, what else from the book do you want to make sure we we walk away with? There's a couple of things that I'll share that I think will be beneficial. First of all is you don't have to come from a privileged background, right? I didn't have anything, right? Zero. I had less than nothing. And we formed a, a very good business strategy and a plan, and God just uniquely blessed it. And you can do it through grit, determination, perseverance, having the mindset of I can do it, not I can't. Fear missing an opportunity more than you fear failure. If you'll adopt just two or three things, you can do that. But a couple of the more important things that I divulge in the book, and I'm totally transparent. You read the book, so you know I'm very honest in the book mm-hmm. because people that have done well oftentimes will hide the things that they've not done well mm-hmm. because they want you to have that Facebook persona, right? And I right. don't believe in that. I believe in being honest. It's like, hey, this is where I was really bad. I didn't have it together. I got help. I reached out and got people surrounding me. I ask a million questions. I want to know how I'm perceived. I want to do better. I want to grow through personal development. But there were some areas in my life that I had to overcome. One was pride and arrogance because when I was in my 20s, I was pretty prideful and arrogant. Another place was bitterness. Hmm. We can develop a mindset of bitterness. And you know, being a spiritual person, I know that God can't work in our lives when we're harboring bitterness. So we've got to be able to purge those things out of our life so that more, more creative and so that we have the ability uh, to, to, to do the things that we want to do. And when you have these things hanging over you, you just can't do it. It's like a curse or a plague. And you've got to be able to purge yourself of these things in your life that are no good. And in the book I talk about, there was, I'll just tell you a quick story. There was a guy in there that had done me wrong in business that cost me a lot of money. And at the closing table, he pointed his finger and laughed and he said, I got you. Mm. And I grew to hate that guy mm. ended up on a hunting trip with him. And I had the gun in my hand and I was, <laughs> I was going to shoot the guy. I mean, literally I was going to shoot this guy and, and I couldn't figure out how to convince the authorities that I shot what I said was a deer with an orange vest on. And I couldn't figure out 10 days we spend out in Buffalo, Wyoming on a hunting trip. And I, and I had to go to that guy at the end of the trip. And I said, Hey man, I forgive you. Let's put it behind us. We're good. And he looked at me like I had two heads. Like, what are you saying? And I'm like, Hey, 
you know what? I got to let this go. And I tell in the book, you, there's some things, guys, listen, you just got to let go. There's some things that are not worth holding on to because you're the only one that it's crippling. Mm. And I talk about that in the book a lot. And so give up the bitterness, have the grit, determination, perseverance, live a success and significant life. And man, at the end of the day, Jeff, I go to bed at night. I'm excited. I can't wait to get up tomorrow because I get to do it again. But you can't do that with the wrong mindset. So I just help you focus on the correct mindset. Yeah. Forgiveness isn't for the other person. It's really for you. <laughs> well, the other thing too, with forgiveness is this is a lot of people say, I don't know if I have forgiven them or not. When you quit demanding justice, you have forgiven somebody mm. and you've got to get to that place with everybody that you deal with. If you're still demanding justice, you haven't forgiven them. But when you quit demanding justice, you'll know you've forgiven mm. them. Well, you've already mentioned a, a number of books. I'm curious to know what you would say, Aaron, are the two or maybe three that, that come to mind as having had the biggest impact on you? Well, first of all, there again is a person of faith. The Bible is something that I read every day, and I suggest everyone read that. How to Win Friends and Influence People by Carnegie, and mm -hmm. it, it ought to be required reading in school. So I would read that. Greg McCowan's book, Essentialism, is fabulous. Uh, Carol Dweck wrote a great book called Mindset, mm. and it helps you get in the right frame of mind. The 12-week year, uh, as I've already mentioned by Brian Moran, is an unbelievable mm. book for implementation if you want something that's very practical, that book is radically changing the lives of many mastermind members that mm -hmm. we have. We have guys that do millions and multi-millions of dollars in business. And as a result of the strategy that book lays out, some of those guys are doubling their business in a very short period of time. And it's not a sales tool. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I don't get anything out of it. But we follow the lead indicators and we implement strategy hourly for a 12-week period. Mm. And the things that you get done are immeasurable. And procrastination is the biggest cause of lack of success in our business because we keep kicking the can down the road. And this plan doesn't allow you to do that. So those are some books I think are a must read. Mm. Uh, the 12 week year is in my stack. And I think you've just convinced me to move it to the top. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm just telling you, no joke. There's guys in our mastermind group that their business is radically mm. transforming as a result of reading Brian's book. Uh, in other uh, circles, I think I've heard you mention uh, the Charles Duhigg book, The Power of Habit, as well. Is that one still high on your list? Oh, it is. Uh, here's the thing. You can go to my website, View from the Top. You know, we've done hundreds of books, and mm -hmm. it's hard to get them all in, you know, a 30-minute interview. <laughs> that, that book, uh, my daughter and I was just talking about that book just a few minutes ago. One of the principles, not necessarily the book, but what we were talking about is when you eliminate something in your life, the way to eliminate something in your life is you've got to substitute something else for it. It's mm -hmm. not like, I can't eat pizza. It's, I can eat salad. And so you've got to say, instead of, I can't do this because we get more of what we focus on. So if you focus more on, I can't do this, I can't do that, then you're going to be hypersensitive to that. But when you say, I can exercise, I can eat salad, I can eat whatever, then you get more of that. And so it's, there again, a mindset shift. And Charles Duhigg masterfully lays out in the power of habit, how to take things out, but how to put things in. Well, obviously, I'm a big believer in reading and reading intentionally and consistently. I'm also a big believer, Aaron, in being able to effectively communicate your ideas in public uh, as playing a major role in, in a person's level of success. I'd be curious to know, then, what some of your tips are 
uh, for delivering an impactful and, and memorable public talk. The thing that I have found out that has served me better than anything, Jeff, quite honestly, is my level of transparency. Mm. Uh, it endears me more to people than anything because the truth is I want to be authentic. I want the same Aaron Walker to show up, whether I'm with Jeff or whether I'm with Robin or my kids or alone or at church or watching TV or out of town. I want the same guy. And that's hard to do. Mm. That's a very difficult challenge is for one person to show up. What I have found through my life is it's exhausting <laughs> to try to live two different ways. Mm. I can't talk about this around Jeff. I can't talk about this about Robin, but I can around Billy and around Susie. A guy called me recently and he goes, I need to know how much you would talk about this particular topic. I said, why don't you just be yourself? Why don't you just get on that interview and you be you? Don't try to cater to the audience. There are people that are not going to stand with you on ideas. And your level of influence is directly proportionate to your level of contrast. Mm. If you are not willing to take a position on something, you're going to have no influence in anybody's life whatsoever. So follow your conscience, follow your faith, follow the direction that you want to go, be authentic, be genuine. If you get up and you try to cater to whatever audience is there, you're going to fail miserably. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason personal development is so important. We need to be ourselves. Well, before I uh, wrap this up, I'll just ask if, if you know, and if you're willing to share, uh, what's, what's next for you? What are you and your team working on now that uh, it's got you really excited? I've brought a gift for your listeners. So oh. this won't cost you a dime. I've taken the prices off. If you'll go to viewfromthetop.com forward slash read to lead, all in lowercase letters, there are three documents I use every day. One is a personal assessment to where you really dive deep into yourself. You look at your identity, your ideals, your career, your faith, your relationships, the things that are important to you, and there's specific questions that it asks you, just thought-provoking questions. The next one is, what do I want? Most people live reactive, not proactive. Mm. And I help people to get outside of themselves and go, what kind of life do I even want to live? <laughs> where do I want to live? How much money do I want to make? And it helps you determine what you want. And then steps to a productive day is kind of a to-do list on steroids to where you start out very early in the morning, work through your day methodically. You do it the day before on this Word document, and it helps you live a life of success and significance. So go to viewfromthetop.com forward slash read to lead and download those for free. Hopefully it'll help you. Jeff, you're awesome, buddy. As always, thank you for having me on, man. I enjoyed it. My pleasure. Thank you, Aaron. Don't miss out on that great resource from Aaron. Viewfromthetop.com slash read to lead. I encourage you, too, to connect with Aaron. One great way to do that is on Twitter. He's at VFT Coach on Twitter. That's at the letter VFT Coach on Twitter. The Read to Lead podcast currently has 298 ratings and reviews in iTunes. Might you be able to help push us over 300? Well, if you're up for it, simply go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes. By the way, you can also review us and check us out on Stitcher, readtoleadpodcast.com slash Stitcher. The Read to Lead University Book Club is in full swing, and we would love to add you to the group the next time registration opens. To add your name, go to readtoleaduniversity.com and enter your email address. Or if you live in the States, you can text the word university to 33444. 
And I want to say a special thanks to our sponsor, Fresh Books. Don't forget about the free 30-day unrestricted trial they're offering right now to claim it. Just go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. Well, that does it for this week. And I look forward to seeing you next time for the read to lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. 